Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Was I the only one that couldn't find my table just then? Uh, it, was, it was gone. Uh, open your Bibles this morning to the book of Jeremiah. I'll give you a moment to find it. Jeremiah, find the big book of Isaiah in the Old Testament and go straight to the next book, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 35. At 11 o'clock today, the kids are leading worship. So I've chosen to uh, preach on family today, just uh, a word to parents and kids. We're going into summer, so I know it's, it's family time, so maybe a good opportunity to uh, talk about parent-child relationships. I'm not feeling well today. I'm telling you, I've told you all that I feel pretty good, but I don't feel great, so uh, um, pray for me. I've had a bad voice for, uh, for several days. Jeremiah chapter 35, let's talk about parents. Is it just me, or are all parents weird? My parents were weird. Um, they really were. Um, I tried really hard to be cool and to fit in with the cool kids, but it was hard for me because I didn't have any of that at home. No cool. My parents weren't cool at all. I remember one day a cool guy from school brought me home. I was a sophomore. I wasn't driving yet. He was driving. He was super cool. And I remember thinking, he's about to meet my family. And I remember praying out loud to Jesus, Lord Jesus, please don't let him be crazy. Please don't let them be crazy. But it's almost like God answered that prayer in reverse. Because I got home and they were crazier than they would have been, you know, if I hadn't prayed. They were crazy. So uh, my buddy, you know, who is just the coolest guy ever, uh, we walk in the door and it's already happening. Like I can hear mama screaming in the living room and dad's going, you know, uh, mom had heard some sort of varmint in the fireplace. You know what I'm talking about? Like she heard scratching. So she thought something was living in the fireplace. So she decided to get dad to open the flue and then, you know, let it out. So when me and my buddy walked in, they didn't even ask him his name. They just handed him a paper sack and told him to go stand by the fireplace and then dad was gonna count to three and open the flue and whatever varmint was living in our fireplace was gonna drop out into the sack. I wish I could have just crawled into the sack. I mean, you know. So here we go, you know, hee-haw family. Dad's counting to three, mom's screaming, my buddy's holding a sack and dad counts to three and drops the flu and this family of birds fly out of our fireplace and start flying around the living room. Well, they all fly right toward my mama's head. And so now mama's running around the living room screaming, you know, batting the birds around and my dad is screaming at my buddy saying, catch them, catch them, get them in the sack, get them in the sack. So my buddy's running around catching birds and, uh, Anyway, uh, when, when all that was over, my buddy was on the porch and he looked at me and he said, your parents are awesome. <laughs> Man, like define awesome, you know? You know? Um, here's sort of just a basic principle, the basic rule of life. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know any other way to say it. It doesn't matter how cool the parents are, their own kids are gonna think they're weird. True? It doesn't matter how cool I am, my son is gonna think I'm weird. It doesn't matter how cool you are, your kids will think you're weird. Parents are weird. But you know what? That's okay. 
Because your job as a parent, understand, is not to be the cool dad. So there you go, I'm setting you free from that. You don't have to be cool. And your job as a mom is not to be the fun mom. That's not your job. That's not at all why God gave you kids. Understand, your job as a parent is to gradually transfer the child's dependence away from yourself until it rests solely upon God. This is your job. This is your one job. Your job is to raise your kids, gradually transferring their dependence. In the beginning, we'll talk about this, they depend completely upon you. And you want to transfer that dependence gradually till they reach the point where your children will depend solely upon God. And when they have that relationship of dependence upon God, you've done your job. You with me? Now, in Scripture, there honestly aren't a lot of families that get it right. Can I just be honest with you? Aren't a lot of families praised for getting it right, but there's one. Strangely, in Jeremiah chapter 35, so read with me. I'm gonna do some skipping around, so just follow with me. Jeremiah chapter 35, I'm gonna start with verse one. I wanna introduce you to a family known as the Rechabites. The Rechabites. Jeremiah chapter 35, verse one. This is the message of the Lord that the Lord gave Jeremiah when Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, was king of Judah. Go to this settlement where the families of the Rechabites live and invite them to the Lord's temple. Take them into one of the inner rooms and offer them wine. So I went to see Jehazaniah, son of Jeremiah, and grandson of Habazaniah and all of his brothers and sons, representing all the Rechabite families. Verse 5. I set cups and jugs of wine before them and invited them to have a drink, but they refused. No, they said. We don't drink wine because our ancestor, Jonadab, son of Rechab, gave us this command. You and your descendants must never drink wine. And do not build houses or plant crops or vineyards. Always live in tents. If you follow these commands, you will live long, good lives in the land. So we have obeyed him in all these things. We've never had a drink of wine to this day, nor have our wives or sons, our daughters, We haven't built houses or owned vineyards or farms or planted crops. We've lived in tents and have fully obeyed all the commands of Jonadab, our ancestor. Verse 13. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. Go and say to the people in Judah and Jerusalem, come and learn a lesson about how to obey me. The Rechabites do not drink wine to this day because their ancestor Jonadab told them not to, but I've spoken to you again and again and you refuse to obey me. Time after time I sent you prophets who told you turn from your wicked ways and start doing things right. Stop worshiping other gods so that you might live in peace here in the land I've given to you and your ancestors, but you would not listen to me or obey me. The descendants of Jonadab, son of Rechab, have obeyed their ancestor completely, but you have refused to listen to me. That's a weird chapter. It it, it is weird, because the Rechabites are weird. I mean, they are. The scripture isn't praising them necessarily for their way of life, they're weird. God says to Jeremiah, hey, bring the Rechabites in, bring them into the temple and offer them wine. Understand, they they ain't going to drink wine because that's not what they do. They're very, very different. They're weird. They stand out from the entire culture. 
When Jeremiah called the Rechabites in, they all come up in their, in their, in their black clothes or black hats and their buggies, driving up into Jerusalem, you know. I mean, it's kind of like the Amish. They are not in any way conforming to the world around them. Instead, they just simply follow the way their fathers and their father's father and their father's father's father told them to live. They're praised not for their way of life, but for their obedience. The Rechabites get it right in that they obey and honor the parents. I know this is really, really difficult. It's really difficult for many of us because some of us just simply don't know what honor and respect and obedience look like. In our culture, people express themselves. Nobody can tell you what to do. You're supposed to think for yourself. And often, even in family life, we feel like we're not able to tell our kids what to think and what to do. But understand, by God's design, parents are given authority over children. This is what God intends. God brings the Rechabites in primarily as an object lesson so he can say, hey, everybody, look at these people. This is what obedience looks like. Because obedience was weird. In our culture, submission, obedience, honor, respect, these things are weird. And this is one of the ways in which we need to be weird. And as a parent, when you begin to take authority over your children, that might feel weird. It might feel weird because, as I say, in our day and age, I mean, parents seem to think that they're not authorized to tell their kids what to think or believe. You ever talk to anybody like that? I mean, I talk to parents that, you know, these days don't even want to bring their kids to church because they want their kids to make up their own minds. Make up their own minds. Make up their own minds. They don't know their left shoe from their right shoe. You know? They still eat their boogers. And you think that they're going to make up their minds about existential, spiritual, the, the largest questions of life? By God's design, parents are authorized to tell their kids what to believe. You're supposed to tell your kids what to think. You're supposed to train and teach your children. That's what family life is about. And children are supposed to honor, respect, and obey. Children are supposed to obey. So understand, as parents, let's just a couple of things. Please understand, God comes first, not your children. The most important relationship in your life as a parent is your relationship with Christ. God comes first. You must be a fully mature believer. You must be yourself a fully disciplined person. You must be a fully committed believer in, in Christ in order for you to adequately and appropriately lead your children. The, the prior relationship, the priority relationship is your relationship with God. God comes first, not your children. I know this is difficult. From the moment that you gave birth and they laid that you know, nine pound little you know, lump of slime in your hand, you were in love. And I get it. Man, I, I love my son. I didn't know what love was, I don't think, until I became a father. I mean, I love that kid. I, I'm, I'm thinking about him all the time, you know? I mean, if, if, he, if he posts on Instagram, he's 29, and if he posts on Instagram, Case and I are both like texting each other, did you see Instagram, you know? He's alive, you know? Because he ain't gonna text us, you know, but he'll post something. We're like, yeah, he's out there. You know, oh my goodness, we, 
We love this kid. Love this kid. I, I don't know if there's anything I wouldn't do for him, but, but understand that that instinct is beautiful, also in some ways dangerous because we have a job to do. Understand, basic definition, a child. What is a child? I defined it as a nine pound lump of slime a minute ago, but we'll go a little deeper than that. A child is an immature person. Get this right. An immature person unable to control himself who tries to control others. This is what kids do. Also your ex-husband, but that's a different story. Understand? A child is an immature person unable to control himself who tries to control others. This is what a baby is. This is what children do. They cry. They learn that when they cry, you move. And so they cry. They learn how to manipulate you. And honestly, in life with a child, you always have to be paying attention to who's training who. You have to pay a lot of attention to who's training who because understand that child is sort of wired to take control if you let her and you can't let her because that's not healthy. That's not her job. That's not your job. Becoming dependent on your child is one of the biggest pitfalls in parenting. Again, I, I, I see this a lot and I know it's, there's something beautiful about it. I, I, you know, I um, I've heard mamas, you know, 40-year-old women say, oh my goodness, my daughter's my best friend. She's eight years old. You know, I love the fact that you and your daughter are so close, but understand, your daughter in the world is gonna have all kinds of friends. That there's a world of friends, but she's only got one mama. You really need to be her mama a lot more than you need to be her best friend. Whenever you start seeing this kind of uh, Role confusion, what you often have is a, an adult who's dependent upon the child. In other words, whatever affection and attention they felt like they haven't gotten you know, from the world or from their own parents or from their husband, you know, that they sort of try to get this from the child. And so the child is sort of there to meet the parent's needs. And I'm just telling you, that's not why God gave you children. Not to fill you up in all the places where you're empty. I'm telling you, there's nothing like the love of a parent for the child. I'm, I'm not taking anything away from that. I'm just saying not every expression of that is healthy. You can't be dependent on your child. Because what happens there is if, is if you need that child's love so desperately, you won't ever tell her no. Because you don't want to make her mad. Because you can't live without her adoration, not even for a second. You know what I mean? You seen those parents? Man, I mean, you got a kid ruling the roost because mom and dad refuse to tell him no. Okay, you're raising a monster and the rest of us will have to deal with him when he gets out of your house. You know, God has given you a job. God has given you a purpose. So understand, God's purpose for the parent's role and authority is to bring children to the point where they no longer need it. It's not a permanent thing. The, the role and authority, uh, it, it is in some ways permanent, but again, the idea is to bring the children to the point where they don't need that. There is a moment in the child's life when that child needs the parents to do everything, to tell them everything. 
But the whole point is to raise children where you no longer have to tell them, no longer have to train them, no longer have to discipline them. You reach a point where you release them. And and this is your purpose. This is absolutely your purpose. So the parent's role is to teach and train. The Rechabites are praised for that, that ability to ingrain in the generations that respect and honor for parents, for grandparents. What does that look like? There are stages of life, stages of family life, and I want us just to talk about what this parent-child relationship looks like through the stages. You with me? Uh, Again, some of you are saying, Pastor Tim, I don't have kids. I don't even know why I came today. Well, but you are a child to parents, you know, and and that relationship still is something that God cares a great deal about. So, So let's talk about it. Let's talk about stage one. The dependence. As I say, when you are given that baby in the hospital, baby is completely dependent upon you. Completely dependent. That child can't feed itself. That child can't do anything for itself. God has created human infants as totally dependent creatures upon the parents. And it really is a rather beautiful thing. But for that reason, in that early stage, uh, respect and obedience are, are completely necessary. Uh, utter obedience. If you have an infant going toward the electrical outlet with a set of keys, true story, all right? You've got to be able to say, hey, stop, stop, you know? I mean, you've got to be able to say, no, and that child stop. If the child's running into traffic, you've got to be able to say, no, and that child, listen, that child has to obey instantly because... Her life is at stake. They don't know not to drink bleach. And so you have to be able to say no. You have to be able to say no, and the child has to learn to instantly obey. The stage of dependence requires this. It's absolutely important. And there's really no work around that. You can't stop and debate. You can't try to explain necessarily in the moment why you know, we're not going to, you know, run with scissors. Dependence, that first stage requires just utter respect and utter obedience. But then you move into the second stage, sort of the, the edges of maturity, I would call it. Um, this is late childhood, teenage years, uh, when that child first begins to develop some independence of their own. There's a lot of conflict that goes with that. If you're raising a son, the son's inevitably going to want to shake his antlers at the old bull, you know? There's a little bit of that conflict that comes with the child growing into her own, his own independence. But uh, still, the biblical requirement for children to honor and obey their parents, it, it, it isn't compromised. I honestly really, really believe that there's something important about what we call the roof rule. What's the roof rule? I'm pretty sure your daddy enforced that rule. What's the roof rule? As long as you live under my roof, you're gonna live by my rules. Honestly, that just makes sense. I know, I know, your parents are crazy. They're weird. You know, everything fun happens after midnight, you know? And so your parents making you come home at 10.30, you know? Like you're a baby. They don't understand that you're 14, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Nearly an adult. I mean, y'all remember all of that? Oh, oh my goodness. Um, 
There's so much tension, there's so much conflict there. You know, teenagers often feel like they're so grown up. You know, they're like slamming the door, like, get out of my life, and then open the door, hey, but before you get out of my life, could you please buy me a cell phone? I mean, you know, uh, they, they don't want you, they want you. It's a, it's a really tension-filled season of life. But again, I, th- I think the roof rule still applies. I, I really do think that there's something to be said for honoring and respecting and obeying. And uh, again, Parents, I remind you, this is your job. This is your job. Now, one more thing in this stage, and I, for this, I, I credit Andy Stanley, who's in my mind really good on this. Andy Stanley says something very practical. He says that you must raise your children in such a way where they will choose to be with you when they no longer have to be with you. You gotta raise your children in such a way where they would choose to be with you when they no longer have to be with you. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The idea is somewhere down the road, you want your adult children to come back home. You want your adult children to to wanna be with you. And what Andy Stanley points out here, I think is just so important. You have to raise them in such a way where they wanna come back and spend time with you. And if you don't do that while you have them, it's going to be really hard to instill that after they're gone. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm just sort of speaking now from, from personal experience. You want to raise your children in such a way where they'll choose to be with you when they don't have to be with you. Because you got to understand, quicker than you know, they're going to leave your house. And then they get to decide how often they come see you. And... Uh, you want them to choose to be with you when they don't have to be with you. If you don't raise them in that way, when they're gone, they're gonna be so gone. Understand? That's stage two, edges of maturity. Stage three is awesome if you do things right. Stage three is independence. And this honestly is the biggest, longest stage of parent-child relationship. This is when you have adult children fully independent in their prime, and you have adult parents, fully independent and in their prime. And this is the best. I mean, again, in family life, when you get to this point, this is the fun part. This is grown children. And and I live my life now alongside a a full-grown man who's my son. He lives in Nashville. I love Wade, I love his wife, Marty. I love him so much. And this is just fun. Now, I know the empty nest, moving into the empty nest was kind of difficult for us. I, I really sometimes still miss the little boy, you know? I, I mean, it was just so much fun having a little boy. I hear parents complaining about, you know, track meets and ball games and, you know, prom parties and all that. I'm thinking, oh, gosh, you don't understand how quickly all that goes by. You've only got so many ball games in your whole life. You've only got so many track meets. You've only got a couple of prom parties in your whole life, you know? But I love this stage too, you know? I love text, you know, I I love adult conversation. I took a five mile run with Wade Harris last Monday, and uh, man, we talked theology, we talked about marriage, we talked about everything, man. I just love the man that he is. Again, I kinda miss the little boy, but I wouldn't trade the man that he is for the little, you know, the little boy, you know, that stopped up the toilet all the time, and you know, his room smelled like, you know, terrible feet. I mean, I don't miss any of that. Um, it's the stage of independence, which is wonderful, you know? Um, stage four, 
which I also am beginning to know something about, um, roles reverse. Some of you are in this stage as well. You know it's coming, but nothing prepares you for that stage when all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, my parents have gotten old, you know? It's interesting, we all age in the very same way. We age very, very slowly and then all at once. You know what I mean? You age very slowly and then all at once. And there comes a point where respect and honor really require a reversal of the roles. It's, it's, it can be really, really difficult, to be honest. Uh, your dad, who was always Superman, your dad, who was the smartest man in the world, your dad, who you called, you know, suddenly you realize he, he can't do what he's always done, and the roles start to reverse. He starts to call you, you, you know. It's hard. It's very difficult. I remember uh, Beth Gifford, she was a former pastor's wife here at Woodburn. Her husband was Jim. Beth died of cancer. Um, I remember in the later stages of her illness, her adult son, Ben, he was still a young man, but he was a, a young man, grown man. Ben loved his mama so much, he was trying so hard to take care of her and her cancer. They're in the hospital on the cancer floor. And Beth said, Ben, would you go down to the family room and uh, bring me back a diet Dr. Pepper? Ben said, yes, ma'am, yes, I will. So he went down to get that for his mama. Um, he went down there. There wasn't any Diet Dr. Pepper in the family room fridge. And so he came back to the room and said, mama, I'm sorry, there, there weren't any in the room. She said, we'll go back and look again. Beth had cancer that had metastasized into her brain and she wasn't herself and she didn't think clearly. And so she said, we'll go look again. So Ben just obeyed. He walked back down the hall and looked in the fridge and came back and said, Mama, I'm sorry, there's just not even Diet Dr. Pepper. And she talked to him like he was just lazy or like he just didn't want to help his mama. And she said, well, Ben, go back down there and look again and bring me back a Diet Dr. Pepper. She just wasn't thinking clearly. And Ben was getting so frustrated and his heart was just so broken because he didn't know how to deal with his mother who wasn't clear, you know? So he went again. He just kept going back. He'd walk down the hall and he would cry and come back and say, Mom, I'm sorry, there just isn't any diet, Dr. Pepper. So finally she said, Ben, I want you to go look again. And Ben said, Mom, I'm going to go down there and look again. But if there's still no diet, Dr. Pepper, can I just go to Kroger and, and bring you back some? And she said, oh, Ben, that would be wonderful. You know? Um, that's a good boy. He was a grown man, but that's a, that's a good man. Just, you know, taking care of his mama. You don't understand how quickly life goes by and, and how important it is to raise your daughter to be a, a fine young woman of God and a son to be a, a, a young man of God. One of the most popular, commonly quoted verses pertaining to parents is Proverbs 22, 6. In the old King James, it was train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're older, they won't depart from it. New Living Translation says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it. Most of the time in church when we've read or quoted this verse, I think we often misunderstood it, or we only 
understood this verse in one way, as if it says like a promise that if you train your children right, they'll never rebel, they'll always turn out. It's like a guaranteed outcome. And, and that's not what this is. This is a proverb, it's not a promise. Understand? Sorry. But it's not a promise. Proverbs are observations of, of the way life generally works. You, you know what I mean? And it's generally true that the way you raise your children is the way they will live, but that's not a promise. Children will make up their own minds, and in some cases, your children can break your heart. So please don't take this necessarily as a promise, but it's also because it's a proverb that gives us principles of wisdom, how to parent, how to think about raising your children. And I think for that reason, this verse is more important for what it teaches us about parenting. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. There's a perspective that this verse gives you if you have eyes to see it. Do you see it? What do you think is the most important phrase in this verse? I think it's when they are older. That's the perspective. That's the way you raise your kids. You always try to parent with an eye toward when they're older, you know? My mama used to get so frustrated with me. I, 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 was, I was a slob, I didn't, I mean, you know, I, I didn't clean my room, I didn't do nothing, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I was one of those kids that would like go take a shower and then come out and the soap would still be dry. My mama would go look and see if the soap was wet and she said, you didn't even use soap. And I'm like, you know, who needs soap? I mean, you know, I was a kid. And my mom used to say, I'm trying to raise you right because one of these days you're gonna get married and your wife's gonna hate me. And I'm like, what is your problem, woman? I mean, that is, what is she talking about? But my mother, when I was a child, was already looking down the road realizing one of these days I'm releasing a, a grown man into the world who won't use soap, you know? Um, it's this idea that, that they're older, that this little boy that you're raising is one day going to be a husband to somebody else's little girl. And you have a responsibility that when he is older, he's the kind of man who could make a really, really good husband, you know? You want to raise your daughter in such a way where one of these days she's going to be a really, really good wife for somebody else's son the kind of woman that can make a promise and keep a promise, the kind of woman that can, you know, love well, you want to raise your kids in such a way where one of these days they're going to raise your grandchildren and you're not going to have to raise them yourself, you know? It's that, it's that when they're older part. Um, we always parent in the present by thinking about the future, the future that we're thinking about. Because I'm telling you, the present goes by just so fast. It goes by so fast. And they're only little for a very short amount of time. If you don't think long-term, then you just sort of parent for short-term happiness. In other words, it's what's going to keep them happy for now? You know, just keep popping vanilla wafers and goldfish in their mouth, you know. Just keep them happy in the moment. But if you only parent by keeping children happy in the moment, um, you're not really thinking about the grown-up that she's going to be one day, the grown man he's going to be one day, you parent in the present by thinking about the future. 
in the prophet Jeremiah, God says, hey, go get the Rechabites, bring them in town. I want everybody to see them. And man, they were weird. I promise you they were weird. They had strange drinking habits. They had strange living habits. They wouldn't live in houses. They would only live in tents. That was weird. They wouldn't involve themselves in agriculture. So it's like, what are you going to do? What did they eat? It's not like they can just go down to you know, Trader Joe's and buy a load of groceries. I mean, what are they doing? How are they living? This is so weird. And God's not praising them for their lifestyle. I think God would agree these people are weird. But what God is praising is the fact that uh, they know how to honor and obey their parents, their grandparents. As, as it turns out, if, if you don't learn that, obedience, if you don't learn obedience in the home with the parents, then it's very, very difficult to uh, learn the importance of obeying God. That's what the prophet says. The Lord says, time after time I sent you prophets who told you, turn from your wicked ways and start doing things right. Stop worshiping other gods, but you wouldn't listen to me or obey me. You see that? Your job as a parent is to uh, teach them obedience. Not so much that they're always going to be obeying you because I'm telling you, you're not always going to be there. You won't always be there. But the Lord will. They have to learn to obey him. That's why obedience matters. And honestly, as a parent, your whole job is to raise them in such a way where that Dependence that starts out completely upon you gradually transferred to a total dependence upon the Lord. You want to raise your children to be children of God. Pray with me.